Welcome to the Growth Cap Podcast, where we chat with CEOs, investors, and other key industry leaders to uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. I'm your host, RJ Lumba. In this episode, we chat with Dr. Ben Maruthapu, the co-founder and CEO at Sarah, which is a technology-enabled home care provider using digital and data to improve elderly care services. Sarah was launched in November of 2016, and since then has grown to over $160 million in revenues and is EBITDA positive. The company now has over 5,000 employees with 50 offices across the country, delivering approximately 30,000 care visits a day, making it the largest care company in Europe, if not beyond. It has raised approximately $100 million in financing. Dr. Ben is highly accomplished in the business and medical fields, with degrees from Oxford University, Harvard University, and Cambridge University. He serves as a senior advisor to Bain, board member of Imperial College Healthcare NHS Trust, and operating partner at Kairos, among other notable positions. We hope you enjoy the show. Dr. Ben, it's such a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you for taking the time. For those in our audience who may not be familiar with you, perhaps we can start off with your background. It is simply phenomenal what you've been able to accomplish over the last 10 years. Thank you, and really great to be here. I've listened to some of the podcasts in the past and very excited to be able to take part. I'm a physician by background. I trained in the UK and the US. I then practiced as a doctor in emergency medicine general practice, and then in public health. I have an academic research background looking at how actually economic crises impact health outcomes and also how to evaluate healthcare innovations. And after developing expertise in academia, I looked at policy and I led a lot of innovation technology policy for the NHS, which is our key health system here in the UK at a national level, overseeing thousands of partnerships actually between the NHS and different technology organizations from startups to multinational companies before then becoming a senior advisor to Bain on building their healthcare practice in the UK and Europe, spanning life sciences, private equity, and digital transformation in health before finally co-founding Sarah. And that was because I had an entrepreneurial bug. I really wanted to build a company. I'd spent a lot of time looking at the intersection between technology and healthcare and observing how innovation and technology has revolutionized so many other sectors apart from healthcare. And I was really eager to try and bring part of that movement to the sector that I know and love. Fantastic. And one of the things that I noticed that's outstanding is you founded Sarah not too long ago. And in a short amount of time, you've gotten to substantial revenues, I think around $120 million and EBITDA positive. And what struck me was Your background has, while it's been in business, it hasn't been necessarily in an operational capacity or deep operational capacity, I should say, since you have kind of a blended background with academia. And so what I was wondering was, how do you scale that quickly? You must have had some unique insight into how to approach the market. It's definitely been a roller coaster journey, I'll tell you that, and I've learned a lot of lessons the hard way. And we have scaled quickly. So we launched just over four years ago. We're now actually up to $160 million in revenues, EBITDA positive. We deliver about 30,000 care visits in people's homes a day. And that makes us the largest care technology company, definitely in Europe, if not beyond. I think getting to that scale has been a 
steep learning curve. There were some transferable skills. I think what's important for an entrepreneur is to try and encourage and bring people together from different disciplines to try and build a company against what is hopefully a tough problem to solve and an exciting vision for the future. And at Sarah, I definitely had an idea based on previous experiences of what good healthcare could look like. Healthcare in the home where people want it, as opposed to then having to go to care homes, hospitals, nursing homes, or elsewhere, in the same way that other sectors now really give us the services we want in our own homes, as opposed to us having to travel out, be it how we deal with retail services, banking services, food delivery, and so on. And then also a digital first experience too, which I think many of us now come to enjoy and benefit from. Those are some of the key movements that I wanted to drive at Sarah, combined with the ambition to deal with the aging population. And I think in healthcare, this is a really important point. Almost every country is having to grapple with an aging, growing population that has more long-term conditions. And I actually think the challenge that poses for health technology is that actually many fast growth companies, startups, scale-ups, businesses looking at using technology in healthcare start actually with younger middle-aged people who may not use healthcare services as much, sometimes termed as the worried well. And what that actually means is you're focusing on people who may go to a hospital once a year rather than those going once a month. And that can actually widen the inequalities between the people who need healthcare the most versus those who aren't using it much. And so that's why I was very keen to build a company that tackled and supported the frequent flies of healthcare, which typically are older people with multiple health conditions, gave them a digital first experience and focused on giving them healthcare in their own home and bringing that together as part of a much broader vision, the digital first future of healthcare. That was how we started. And I think it's important to have a lot of persistence, ambition, the ability to be dynamic, to learn from mistakes quickly, and also to effectively communicate. Because at Sarah, we're bringing together everyone from data scientists to business development professionals to individuals in our finance and MA team to HR to carers to operators. It's important to be able to communicate effectively across multiple planes and bring all these people together around a common mission if we're going to succeed in our goal, which is to revolutionize home healthcare. And those are actually skills that I picked up during my time in medicine, even as a doctor, where I, of course, had to liaise with many team members from different disciplines and patients from different backgrounds. That definitely supported me. I think my time at Bain gave me quite a strong view on a commercial lens, how to appraise companies, optimizing capital structures, and then combining that with my innovation and national experience in the NHS gave me a feel for where health systems could head, and also what the challenges are for early stage companies in achieving traction in healthcare. Because it's not like a typical market where going to a direct consumer mechanism of bringing on new customers can be really effective. Actually, in healthcare, customer acquisition costs and growth through bringing on more customers can be quite challenging, given that the landscape has many different players. There are health insurance companies, government players, local players, healthcare providers, of which there are many different types and shapes, all the way to, of course, frontline professionals and the people receiving care who are patients. Bringing that together and understanding the most effective way to create traction requires some experience and understanding of the health and care system and how it fits together. And so I've had to draw upon lots of my different experiences to try and succeed at Sarah and make Sarah a success.
if you look at the broad landscape of the healthcare industry and technology, there's a lot of innovation happening across the board. And you probably still kind of overlap with these organizations, but you see a lot. And so your approach to this market, was that a result of a lot of kind of heavy kind of analysis as to where the most need was? What kind of prompted you to approach this specific part of the market? Yeah, I think taking a step back, there were three challenges that I saw health technologies running into. One was having a sustainable business model. I think there are lots of fast growth, early stage companies in the health technology space who definitely get some traction, but converting that into a business that is sustainable in the medium to long term can be very, very challenging. And this definitely is the case for some companies that are producing kind of apps for remote management and don't necessarily have a commercial model or for slightly data heavy companies, which again are looking to try and achieve a degree of commercialization. And that was one challenge I saw. I think a second challenge was focusing on the key demographics who use the majority of healthcare services. And that's a point I touched on. But the reason why that's also as important is when it comes to unit economics. Of course, someone who has multiple health conditions will inherently use healthcare services more often. And therefore, there's going to be a greater degree of feasibility in a model targeted to that individual. When a company looks at rarer conditions or conditions that affect smaller segments of the population or with lower utilization, things become more challenging. And then finally, when it comes to the use of data in healthcare, which I think is a tremendous opportunity given healthcare is such a knowledge-based sector, many health technology or data-driven companies in healthcare have um, want to focus on some of the frequent flies of healthcare in the community, but because they can't get high-frequency, high-granular information on them, on those patients, on those users, instead focus on working in hospitals. But of course, while we can use machine learning, artificial intelligence, data algorithms for things like radiology and other imaging services in hospitals, actually, we want to stop people going to hospital in the first place. We want to have data-driven methods for keeping people healthy in the community and preventing the health issues they otherwise may have had from occurring in the first place. That, of course, requires data-driven insights and understanding of how individuals with their symptoms, their medical conditions are progressing in the community and accessing that information can be very hard. However, putting those three pieces together, it made me focus on and triangulate towards the elderly home healthcare space, because that, of course, is a demographic that utilizes healthcare services in a significant way. Caregivers visit older people three, four times a day, every day in their homes, which gives us many, many touch points for changing the healthcare journey, but also for acquiring information which we can use to improve our services going forward and to have some of those data-driven insights to, for example, avoid hospitalizations. And of course, because these individuals require large amounts of healthcare services, typically on a recurring basis, that allows us to have a much more robust, sustainable commercial model underpinning Sarah and the business. And that's why we've been able to grow so quickly in a sustainable way, rather than in one where our top line is equivalent almost to our cash burn, which for some companies, when they're growing quickly, can be the case. And so taking a step back, that's why we gravitated and I gravitated towards this. But in terms of the growth model, there was lots of iteration and experimentation. I think we had to find our way. We had to learn by doing. Um, we started initially by doing direct consumer marketing, like many early stage companies, realized there were high customer acquisition costs, then switched to partnering 
with healthcare providers and also local government payers who will fund elderly care services. And that was successful. It did allow us to grow pretty rapidly. But then we ran into a bit of a chicken and egg situation whereby if we go into a new geography, especially and we don't have the workforce, the caregivers, it's hard for us to forge some of those partnerships because we don't have the critical mass to service some of those contracts. Alternatively, if we try to bid for a contract, win the contract and then recruit caregivers, we wouldn't be able to recruit them quickly enough to serve those contracts. And if we just hired carers and had them wait for until we won a contract, again, they would probably leave somewhere else because we're not actually keeping them busy. We're not getting them to work and giving them services to deliver. And so to try and break some of that chicken and egg situation, which I think many organizations that have a supply and demand component and that are trying to grow quickly and enter new geographies, to try and crack that, we then looked at partnering or even purchasing traditional home care players. And this is an inorganic strategy. And the reason we looked at this was because these players, while they may be quite backwards in the processes they use, they may not be straightforward to integrate and they may also be quite slow in their nascent growth on a year-on-year basis. We saw the potential to have a more rapid path to having foundational level critical mass in a given area. So we could have a critical mass of carers, of users, of potentially partnerships, which would jumpstart the whole process and then allow us to win more contracts and also allow us to do more local marketing to bring on more customers. And we put together that recipe and it really started to work for us. Now we do have a blend of inorganic and organic growth that fuels the business and allows us to expand in a much more sustainable but also rapid manner than otherwise would have been possible or frankly has been possible for other players that we've seen in the market. So is the advantage, and you mentioned bidding, so presumably there's other players in the market that could provide a similar service, but I'm assuming Sarah has been perhaps more operationally efficient or there's added kind of features to the service that you provide which assists you in winning these contracts. And we recently had on a guest medically home that provides services in the U.S., although from your description, what they provide is a bit more nuanced. It seems like you have a kind of a broader offering. But yeah, if you could let us know, how is the model from, I guess, a patient's perspective, how would it be different? So we provide um, digitally enabled home care with caregivers visiting older people in their own homes. And you're absolutely right. Partnerships has been key to that. We now have over 120 partnerships with the NHS and local government covering about 45% of the UK population now and counting. So we are expanding more and more, and that's, of course, fueling our growth. What's allowed us to do that is our digital-first approach gives us many, many benefits in tandem across the business. Everything from user experience, where in many cases it's a family member organizing for their older loved one to receive care at home, through our app, they can see in real time when a care is arriving, what they're doing, what their name is, when they're leaving. And that real-time update and communication is a very powerful degree of transparency, which otherwise wouldn't be present and otherwise means that a family member would be, frankly, left in the dark when organizing care because they wouldn't have access to any of that information. They wouldn't know if their older loved one is okay, if they've even received the services or not. In some cases, these people have severe dementia and therefore can't necessarily communicate well with their family members. So we serve as the key point of contact, and that's why the transparency through our app is so important. At the same time, 
with our carers, our app also allows them to have real-time communication with other carers and our operation teams. The reason why that's important is if you imagine your caregiver going from home to home to home in terms of visits, and you're spending, let's say, an hour in each one, if there is an issue that crops up and you're working for a traditional home care agency, it's very difficult for you to flag that. You may try calling that agency, they may pick up, they may not because they're so overwhelmed with their day-to-day logistics. And that means that concern goes unnoticed. You may log it using your pen and paper notes that are left in that person's home, but really it doesn't get escalated and that's quite a disempowering experience for you if you need more support and help. Then you'll go to the next home and the next home. And actually, if that concern gets worse, it could be the early stages of an infection or a person's diabetes getting worse, which ultimately lands them in hospital. And that could be completely prevented. But that is a really difficult experience for a carer. In contrast to our app, carers can communicate in real time with our operations teams. They can flag certain items, which operational teams can either pick up then and there or minutes afterwards. And our data algorithms review the reports that our carers produce on every single visit and risk stratify those visits so that we can flag automatically without human intervention if certain visits are high risk, need further inspection, and even uh, need a physician to come in and visit the person or to have a look so that we can avoid an unnecessarily escalation or worsening of that person's health condition and keep them out of hospital. And now our technology allows us to respond to changes in users' health 30 times faster than a traditional provider. In terms of the quality that we're seeing, even recently during the second wave of the pandemic, when we were under maximum pressure from an operations perspective, over nine out of 10 of our customers and users rated our care as very good or outstanding. Six out of 10 rated it as outstanding during the peak of operational pressure, which is a level above most other home care providers or companies in the UK and beyond. And then when it comes to our carers, We've seen ENPS, Net Promoter Score for our carriers, increase tenfold after we've rolled out our technology because they love using the app and it allows them to communicate their needs, to have support in real time and to address challenges they may have in delivering care immediately. And that also has translated to massive improvements in care retention. So the staff turnover is a big challenge in the care sector in general in most countries. On average in the UK, it's about 39% for home caregivers. In other countries and some companies, it goes up to even 50, 60, 70%. For us, we're down to 20, 25%, which is much stronger than the national average. And in some parts, our staff turnover is low single digits a year, 4, 5%. So we are seeing massive improvements in care retention and staff turnover coming way down because of the technology we've used. And that also is enhancing the economics of our model, whereby we're seeing material margin improvement, especially around EBITDA margins, because of the technology we've introduced that allows us to automate many functions and run our operations in a more cost-effective manner. Where do you see this heading? Obviously, if you've expanded very quickly in the UK, are you expanding globally? Is there a near-term or long-term plan for that? We definitely have global ambitions. We want to be the leader in revolutionizing home healthcare through technology, such that any service you may need in healthcare, not just a caregiver, but a nurse, a doctor, a diagnostic test, you can get in your home when you need it on demand through our technology. 
And that really means looking ahead, we want to expand on multiple fronts. We want to expand in terms of service lines. So we've started with caregivers, but we've already started delivering nursing services. And in due course, we will be offering diagnostic tests and even prescriptions uh, delivered to people's own homes. We also want to expand in terms of demographics. So absolutely, we've reached critical mass in many geographies across the UK by looking after older people. But that gives us a lot of liberty now to start looking after individuals from other age groups, middle aged people who are younger, those with physical or learning disabilities or mental health challenges who need services at home. And finally, we are looking at internationalization. We are definitely looking at expanding to other countries this year. And that will be through a combination of either licensing our technology, which we've already had successes with thus far at Sarah, or actually having feet on the ground and delivering our own technology-enabled services in other countries. We're coming up on time here, but I'd like to ask our guests a couple questions. This kind of dives further into, I guess, you personally. But can you tell us about a challenging time you faced? Could have either been in your earlier years in academia, could have been as an advisor, board member, or more currently operating Sarah. If you tell us about a challenging time and how you were able to overcome it. So rewinding back to the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, I think we weren't sure what was going to happen. I think there was a week in the middle of March in the UK where at the beginning, Boris Johnson was actually happily shaking people's hands. And then fast forward just a handful of days, we're thinking about lockdown as a nation. And it's a complete change in and seismic shift in perception. And what that meant for home care, we didn't know. Did it mean that we'd have to wind down the amount of care we delivered in people's homes? Did it mean there'd be more challenges recruiting carers? Did it mean that there'd be challenges in delivering care? Because, of course, now there's an infection risk which could spread easily. That was a really challenging time for us, but we tried to turn it from a difficult moment. And this is also a point where I had to postpone my wedding. I was due to be getting married last May. And my now wife and I decided to postpone it. So there were lots of things happening. It was extremely turbulent, but we managed to think hard as a team at Sarah to turn that challenge into an opportunity. We realized that on the one hand, there would be many sectors that unfortunately would be hit by COVID-19. That meant that there would be changes in the labor markets and potentially people losing roles. At the same time, we saw this gap in the care sector where on any given day in the UK, there are 120,000 vacancies for caregivers that needed to be filled. And we also saw that the NHS was under real crisis and was trying to get people discharged from hospital to home to make vacancies because there was this tremendous COVID wave coming and they needed to make space and capacity to be looking after it. And we thought, what can we do here? And so we turned it on its head. And within a handful of days, we created kind of a new platform at Sarah that allowed anyone who'd lost a job, regardless of their sector, to train online, be vetted and be deployed onto the front line of our organization to start delivering care. And what that meant was, if you lost a job working in a part of retail or working for an airline, you could now work in the care sector within a matter of weeks because we had an accelerated training and vetting program, all of which was online, so it was very, very scalable. You could start earning an income, keep food on the table and make a difference. We could solve a major gap in the care crisis, and we reached out to all of our NHS partners to support them in looking after and discharging people from hospital to home, whilst also sourcing PPE, personal protective equipment, gloves, aprons, masks, in an extremely rapid fashion, which at that point, there was a massive bottleneck nationally and internationally to source this. 
which itself was its own mini crisis in the health system here. So we managed to secure emergency supplies of PPE, equip both our current caregivers and the ones we were recruiting so that they were safe and our customers were safe and actually bring this together to try and make a difference during a point of real meltdown for the UK and real challenge. And the beginning part of that week, and as there was so much uncertainty, it was really difficult, stressful. We were closing a funding round at the time as well, so our investors had a bit of uncertainty. But we managed through trying to take a step back, trying to think clearly and trying to find a solution in an area and have a solution-focused mindset to all the problems we were seeing, turn it into an area that we could make a difference in and actually come out stronger from as an organization. So um, that was for definitely some days, if not weeks, a really difficult and operationally tricky time. And the whole company also went to remote working, but we managed to really amp up and make a massive difference. That's fantastic. Not only were you able to figure out a business solution, but you were able to really help society out in that time, both with employing others who have been displaced as well as giving care. Last question, and this is really particularly relevant for you because you've done so much in a short amount of time. Is there someone who you've looked up to who's helped kind of guide the way you operate and the way you kind of view the world and what you want to accomplish? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd probably give a couple of different people. So our chairman at Sarah is someone called Peter Sands. Peter was CEO of Standard Chartered Bank for many years and now runs the Global Fund to Fight HTB and Malaria, which is a massive multinational 14 billion organization. Peter is our chairman at Sarah and has given me a huge amount of guidance and advice across the journey as we've had many twists and turns to building the company and has always been there for me. And that I'm incredibly grateful for and feel really fortunate for as well. And then when I was in the NHS, I was advising the CEO of the health service, who's Simon Stevens. And Simon formerly ran all of United Health's international operations. So that would have been probably about 80 to 100 billion revenues worth of operation at his helm. And He also gave me lots of advice and development support, I think, when I was working in the NHS. And I feel really fortunate, again, and privileged to have had guidance and mentorship from him. And so those two individuals, I think, have really helped me. And then probably lastly, say, when I was growing up as a teenager, my father passed away when I was 12. So my mother raised me by herself from that age onwards. And she was instrumental to kind of giving me the confidence and the character building for me to try and succeed later on. Well, Dr. Ben, this has been a pleasure. By the way, I hope you've been able to set a date to get married or you've already gotten married. Yes, so we got married. We were fortunate to get married in December just before lockdown came on again. And we're looking to have a bigger celebration with friends and family later in the year. Fantastic. Well, Dr. Ben, thank you so much for taking the time. I know our audience will find this very insightful. Thank you. Great to be here.